One of the things we do in our missions as we minister to pastors uh, in other countries is give them the Calvary Chapel approach, which, is, which isn't really new with Calvary Chapel. Um, it was discovered a long time ago that if you teach the whole counsel of God going through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you can really root and ground people in the truth of God. And one of the advantages of that that I always share with is that you don't have to spend a, a lot of time or waste a lot of time trying to figure out what you're going to share from meeting to meeting, Sunday to Sunday, or midweek to midweek. You just get in your little groove and you go. And all your energies can be put towards that. And it's a great approach. But there are times when um, you need to be open to the Spirit <laughs> and, and do things differently. And so, as you know, we're working in Psalms here on the midweek, and we're going back between Psalms and Proverbs, and we finished Proverbs. And um, I intended on doing Psalm 34 this evening, earlier in the week. And um, so the, this passage tonight... Um, was given to me this morning and I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 if you'll turn there. And so uh, it's pertinent as we think we're here in the first of the year and we are in a year of transition for our church and many of your lives are in transition. You're moving and there's a lot of moving parts and um, this is a good reminder of who we're serving and how he acted. Now, I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to have a stand, and I'm going to read through. Um, I'm going to read through the chapter. I think it is so critical of a chapter. Uh, I think it's got to be up there as one of the top chapters for Christians to really know and know well. Uh, but let's stand as we read chapter two, and. It, the title of tonight's message is In the Footsteps of Jesus. Therefore, if there's any consolation... Now, when you read this word, if, it is I in the Greek. This is one of those marker of conditions in language, right? Um, it really it means in view of the fact. This word here. In view of the fact. So, in view of the fact that there's comfort... There's consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, in view of the fact there's affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only on it for his own interest, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave and becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God ha also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one whom ministered to my need. And since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you all heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Amen. You may be seated. What I want to look at here tonight, and this is a uh, great passage as we've noted, is two things, two people, two individuals in Paul's ministry that were part of his ministry, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these two men walked in the footsteps of Christ. I think it's interesting that Paul started this chapter with the mind of Christ, but then at the end of the chapter, he sort of plugs in a couple guys that get it. Not every Christian gets it. Not everybody understands what it means to be a servant, to lay down their lives and to wash people's feet and to uh, walk with the Lord in that manner. Timothy was an extreme example to me of humility. And, of course, we know that he was Paul's assistant. He ended up pastoring the church there in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul refers to him as a true son. There's just a, a deep affection that Paul has for Timothy. I don't know that he led Timothy. Uh, his mother and his grandmother were both women of faith. And it's probably... Uh, the fact is that they, he was probably already a believer uh, when Paul uh, met him. Second Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, so, call, Paul calls him a, a beloved 
son, this term of endearment, closeness. And then he exhorts him as my son in chapter 2. So you can see that there's just this uh, loving relationship that Paul has with him. But I want to point out here in this passage four things about the character and personality of Timothy. His name is Timothy, uh, which means timid. Timothy was a younger fellow, and and he uh, was somewhat timid in his ministry. And Paul, over the years, exhorted him, stir up the gift that's within you. You can do this. And, you know, Paul threw people off in the, you know, the deep end of the pool, so to speak. I mean, he threw him into the ministry because he saw the call of God, you know, on his life. The first thing that Paul mentions in regards to Timothy is that he was like-minded. Now, this is an important characteristic, obviously, for those who serve together in the ministry. It's, uh, in fact, I would say it's probably one of the most important things in keeping unity within the body of Christ. It's such a precious commodity. We are to strive to keep the unity of the faith. And, uh, and we have that be- like-mindedness because we are all seeking to think like Jesus thinks. You know, he told the Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. And so you can make sanctified decisions because your mind has been renewed. You've been redeemed. And, uh, you know, we begin to think like Jesus and we think about meeting the needs of people. What did Jesus do when he was here? He was constantly meeting the needs of other people. Now, you and I may have different ways of going about uh, meeting those needs, but we would all agree that people are, have needs that need to be met. And the uh, important thing about ministry is that you are meeting the needs. Um, as members of the body of Christ, um, one of the greatest needs, and this isn't really known by all, but it's known by people at Calvary Chapel, there is a constant need for the intake of God's Word. We need to constantly be feeding our spirits the nutrients necessary uh, to grow, to become more like Him. And so we we are a teaching ministry. We want to bring forth the Word of God. We, In reality, we know that it's really only the Lord that can, you know, meet people's needs, but He meets them often through the Word. And I remember Pastor Chuck, when we were in class, sitting under uh, one of his classes in orientation to ministry, um, and in regards to ministering the Word, he, he, of course, Chuck had lots of wise sayings. He was a very wise man, lots of experience. Uh, but one of the very important principles that he shared is, do not think people are more spiritual than they are. Because if you do, you'll never meet their need. And so we naturally, as we'll see here, think we're further along or we understand more than we do. And, and that's why we constantly need the Word of God. We, are, we haven't arrived at the first you know, few verses in, in this chapter. We don't really have the full mind of Christ. We're still being worked on in that regard. And so Timothy was like-minded. Secondly, in verse 21, uh, he was not self-centered or selfish. And I think this is probably one of the greatest lessons that we're taught by the Spirit of God is to be other-centered. Jesus looked on the interests of others continually. And this is unfortunate for us in the body of Christ that many, many are slow in learning 
this principle of dying to self. Uh, learning to put others first and their needs. Um, now, that is not mean you become the slave of men. Uh, we see uh, that happen by people who are strong-handed and controlling. And, you know, and of course they play on that submission part. And so you can easily become a slave of men. And yet we're told in Revelation, let no man take your crown. You know, so we, we're, our service is to be as unto the Lord and being led by the Lord. And so um, we're always seeking to help others gain, help others to learn, help others to grow. And probably the greatest way that most of us learn this principle of dying to self is when we become parents. <laughs> uh, yes, learning how to die to self. Those little people wear you out strip you of all your dignity <laughs> and drain you of all your finances, <laughs> right? And my advice to all parents is, and or someday parents, would be um, pay attention and learn how God is parenting you. <laughs> Think about how much grace and how much mercy that he pours up out on you as his child. And then you, in turn, pat, seek to parent your child. And as you walk through life, we learn that I, as I am parenting my children, God is parenting me. And I could actually say that in reverse. It would be just as the same. As I am being parented by God, I seek to parent my children. Now, as a pastor, I'm actually spiritually parenting. And that's a whole other issue and a whole nother dynamic but it's still the same how does God train me how does God teach me so I must have the same mercy the same love the same gentleness all those kinds of things there's nothing stronger than the gentleness of God a lot of people look at that when you're not you know strong and in control as sort of weakness but it's not there's nothing stronger than the gentleness of God and as I mentioned here in verse 21, you know, he, what does he say here about, you know, Timothy? For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. The normal hum, human way is self-interest. We protect ourselves. We get what we need. And then, you know, well, you know, if I've got time, <laughs> then I'll help other people. You know, Timothy and Paul, as well as many others, and this is how the Spirit trains us, uh, we put aside selfish interests in lieu of what the greater need is. And actually, Paul spent his time seeking the interests of Christ and his body. And they both lived out humble lives. They were self-giving to the Lord. And they stood out as shining, burning lights. So we're, we know, we're all born self-centered. We're self-assuming beings with fallen natures. It's not hard to admit that. It's unfortunate, but that's the state of the union, right? You just It's important to remember that that character quality was found in first in one of God's fallen angels, Lucifer. It was me first. He was envious of God. He was a glory thief. 
He sought to, he wanted for himself the praise and the glory that God was receiving. And so this is an antithesis to what we're called to as servants of the Lord. Verse 22, Paul point, makes the mention as Timothy, whom he's about to send there, as a man of proven character. Now, it takes time to prove yourself. Um, and I think really, uh, it's not really all our fault that we're that way. We've This generation, those still living, um, and most of us in the Western culture for sure, has been, been raised in an area of, in an era of, in, of convenience. We have everything pretty much at our fingertips. It makes life a lot easier than it was you know previously and i think about this a lot being in construction um i don't even have to drive a nail anymore we've got pneumatics to do that a lot faster and i don't even leave hammer warts on the wood anymore you know if you know what that means when you miss the nail and you hit the board it leaves a wart yeah that's what we're talking about i don't even do that anymore because of the gun boom so it's much much nicer mechanized equipment you know Makes life a lot easier if you're a ditch, ditch digger. It's a lot of actually digging a ditch now is fun if you like running equipment, and I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you might like to too. You know, what is physical labor? It's hard, it's arduous, but it's suffering. It involves suffering when we work like that, and so suffering actually is one of the few things that bring builds character in our life, and we try to avoid it, don't we? I'm signing right up. Let's, anybody want to sign up on, for the suffering outing? We're going on a suffering outing. You guys all want to go? I mean, no. Nobody signs up for that. We want to avoid that. But it, it, like I said, it's the um, prosperity and all the innovations that we have have sort of catered to this fallenness. And if you think about it, the honest evaluation of our country is we are soft. We are soft and we're a bunch of complainers um we want what we want and we want it yesterday essentially you know after all i have a college education i shouldn't be moving into position for the ceo in in the next couple of months really okay you do you do know who my parents are right i mean it's just an entitlement mentality that's just It's obnoxious, actually, but it's so present. You know, I guess really in, in reality, there's really no ends to what we'll do to justify what we want, to get what we want, and to be what we want. We'll, we'll do that. But Timothy was not that way. He, he had a time-tested service with Paul. He walked with Paul. He planted churches with Paul. And he was well-known in the body of Christ as a powerful witness because he had a proven character. Verse 22 also includes there, the fourth thing, uh, that he had a servant's heart. And, you know, this is actually something that we have when we get saved. When we are born again, you are instilled with a a divine nature. The divine nature is given to us. We are born again of incorruptible seed. That's awesome. We literally become citizens of heaven at that moment. You know, 
Jesus explained all, all these attitudes uh, and character qualities in the Sermon on the Mount. And really, what he's describing there is really a servant's heart. It, he modeled it perfectly, but he explained it uh, to us. And so this is something, even though we've been given, it's been given to us and it's resident within, it needs to be recognized and it needs to be developed. And uh, again, this is foreign to the natural man. Nobody wants to <laughs> clean toilets. Uh, ask a mom if she really wants to change that diaper. Or ask the dad if he really wants to take out the trash. I mean, these are tasks that are, you know, I mean, they're lighthearted things here, obviously, but they have to be done. And so Jesus gave us this self-perspective that we should have in regards to our service for others and how we should frame it within our minds. And because we don't know, we need to learn. Luke seventeen seven. if you want to turn there. Luke seventeen seven, And I'll keep going for the sake of time as you're turning there. Luke seventeen seven, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, and serve me? until I have eaten and drunk. Afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which were commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, you, as a parent, that's really, really you learn that pretty quick. Kids don't thank you for their meals and they don't thank you for their clean clothes or their warm, clean beds <laughs> or their tidy house that you do. Mothers you do a lot of those things. And yet, how is how, what is our perspective supposed to be? When we in the church serve other people and they are ungrateful, unthankful, it, that doesn't matter. That's what you have to think. It doesn't, that's, this is the way it is. We aren't looking for that. Say we are unprofitable servants. And that's sort of like, well, wait, man, I want people to notice what I'm doing here. You're laying down my life here, man. <laughs> Can't you say? Uh, they don't really care. And you need to understand that. They have their own cares. And that's, that's okay. But what I want you to see is that's our position. That's the framework that we need to have, the heart attitude. But I want you to see how Jesus sees it. And that's in John fifteen fourteen. And this is what's special. Because if we walk in this, what, what is one of the highest honors given to anyone in the scriptures? I think one, uh, David has one of those. He was a man after God's own heart. That's pretty, ooh, that's, that's right up there. But it's not much different. It's right on the same level and it's akin to Abraham. What, is he, what was he called? The friend of God. So what Jesus, he's now been with these, these guys have been with him over three and a half years. He's leaving. And look what he's, he's preparing them. He says, John fifteen fourteen, 
You're my friends. If you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. That your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask the father in my name. He may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. You remember the story in John chapter 2, what went on in Cana of Galilee. There was a wedding, right? And they ran out of wine. And Jesus was approached by his mother about the situation. And they had a little exchange and you can figure out, out what went on in your, on your own opinion. <laughs> but I like Mary's comment. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because <laughs> he knew Jesus couldn't resist doing serving. So he turned the water into wine. And then what is it? The story goes on to say that the head of the feast, hey, why did you bring out the new wine last? You wait till. You do that at first and you bring out the bad stuff. You save the best stuff for last. What's wrong with you? And they did not know where the wine came from. But it says the servants did. Nice little clip there. You get that? You see, you just come to church and you, you let this servant's heart lie dormant within your walk and your ministry. You're not doing it. You're not walking in it you're really not going to know the inside scoop of what God's doing. You're going to be on the outside looking in. But you lay down your life and you humble yourself before God and you give yourself. You know, in, Jesus said, if you want to live, you w- must die. It's in living that you find life, in dying that you find life. Jesus has told us when we move from that servant relationship and we lay down our lives. We see ourselves as servants. But when we do that, he's now seeing us as what? His friends. And he whispers his plans and his purposes in the ears of his friends. I think that's important. Very important to us. So Timothy was like-minded. He was not self-centered. He had a proven character and he had a servant's heart. In verses 25 through 30, Epaphroditus, another member of Paul's team that assisted him, he was the type of guy that would do whatever was needed. Didn't matter. He was kind of like the utility guy. Whatever the need is. He actually was a member of the church in Philippi. But he was with Paul because he went with Paul because Paul had need. He would send these other guys out and sometimes he would be alone and he would, you know, that, and that's never good for a man of God to be alone. You need to go out in twos. You need to have that company. So the Philippians sent Epaphroditus with him on occasion and he's with Paul in Rome along with Timothy at this time and Timothy's going to come later but he can't come right away because Paul wants to give them all the information about what's happening with him and then he says later on that he's going to come 
but he doesn't know yet. So it's one of those, well, I really need to get this out there. So it's believed, and tradition has it, that Epaphroditus is the one who carried this epistle with himself back to the church at Philippi. So uh, he was with Paul, as I said, in Rome, a member of the church there in Philippi. And um, he, uh, number one, who is he like, really, as a person? I love the way Paul couches uh, these things. They're just, it's just five things that he says about Epaphroditus as a person. And I would to God that we had a church full of people that had these five qualities about them. They're beautiful. I love lists. I'm a list person. You like lists? Isn't that great? <laughs> we, we get somehow the lists, you can kind of get it cemented in your brain better, I guess. Well, it's the way I think anyway. First, verse 25, uh, Paul says, uh, Epaphroditus, my brother. You know, Paul probably was quite older. And I, 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 can begin to relate to some of that since I'm older than most of you all. Not all of you. Epaphroditus as a brother. And and that's how I see all the, the men in the church. You guys are my brother. You're not parishioners. <laughs> You're not lay people. I, I, I really fail to under, see that in the scripture anyway. I sort of hate that whole... And actually, that's what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is, the separation of clergy and laity. And it's like, you know what? Either part of the body of Christ or you're not. We're all, now we have different offices, we have different callings, and we're different giftings, but we're all brothers, we're all sisters, we're all part of the divine family. You know, in regards to a brother, now, when we say that in Christ, what we're talking about is that those of us who have been born again, we are blood purchased. We are blood bought brothers and sisters. We are redeemed children of the Most High. We will never be separated for all eternity. We will always be together in God's divine family. You know, we... Now, I find it interesting that siblings have a relationship with each other, you know, on the blood level, the natural level, that nobody else has in the world. They are unique in their own little group. Husband and wife have a unique relationship, but it's not like siblings. That's, that's you know, 50-50 from one, you know, here, and one from the mom, one from the dad. You know, it's, it's, just, it's an interesting little mix. And that's a, that's, there's a closeness there. There's even a closeness with twins or triplets or sextuplets. I mean, how many ever? That's unique. And that's close. They're, and family relationships are close. And they are bonding as they should be. But I believe that the spiritual bond is greater. Why? Because it's eternal. It's not temporal. Paul considered Epaphroditus a brother. Can't get any closer than that. It's beautiful. 
verse 25 says he was a fellow worker. You know, when you work with someone, you really get to know them. I mean, it didn't, you take like, oh, okay, let me see what I'm working with here. You know, that kind of stuff comes out, and then there's other things like, wow, where have you been all my life? You know, I need help. Where were you when I needed you, really, you know? I mean, um, but in that work, there's a, a bonding that takes place. It's, it's unspoken. A lot of times it just goes unnoticed. But you start thinking, when you think about it, there is a bond there with those that you work with. You're just part of a, a group of men or a group of women, whatever the case may be, or a group of people that are working to accomplish a common goal. And you're laboring and working to do that. And so that, that labor is a suffering. There's nothing like suffering together that bonds hearts together. And so that's how he saw Epaphroditus. Willing to leave his home, will, willing to travel all over, probably get persecuted. Doesn't say that he was ever beaten like Paul was, but if you're with Paul, you're liable to get in all kinds of trouble. Members of the body of Christ, we labor for one goal is to meet the needs of the body and to get the gospel of Christ out. We have a ministry within that we labor and some are more gifted for that. And then we have a ministry without to get the gospel message out to the world. And many are, are more gifted at that. Not everyone works, but we're all fellow workers. And we will all receive a common reward for the work accomplished. Think of David when he went and recovered all the goods after uh, the place when he, him and his men were gone, uh, the city was attacked and they lost their wives, they lost their goods and David came back and, and the men went. And when they went, and God blessed them and they were able to recover all. But there were some guys that sort of like, man, we're done. We'll just stay here with the stuff. It's just, this is a lot longer trek than we figured. Just go and we'll stay with the stuff. So they went and the guys, the young brutes, <laughs> conquered and they came back and they were a little bit miffed that these other guys were a little older, probably had pot bellies and they didn't weren't really in good shape and they were fainting. Well, they don't get us. Why should they have it? You know, they didn't go. They didn't do what we did. And David said, no. No. Those who stay with the stuff receive the same as those who went into battle. Because you can't have one without the other. Both, both were needed. Both kinds of people were needed to accomplish the task. And so don't think that the people who go out get a greater reward than the people who serve maybe in Sunday school or within the body of Christ. We're all going to be rewarded uh, by the Lord. He's gracious. And, you know, that became a statute throughout all Israel because David said it would be that way, and that's the way it stayed. And that's, that's the way it should be. Not only that, uh, verse 25 calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. Now we've watched, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is an analogy that we're all familiar with. Maybe you've probably seen the, the show and the movie The Band of Brothers and it shows these guys in World War II that, you know, they jumped out of the planes and <laughs> landed and then they fought together and, and some of these guys just were fearless and, and they lived together, they soldiered together, they, they died together. I mean, for some of them anyway. Again, this is the camaraderie that we have. And, and sometimes we forget. You know, we are a loving church. We are a loving 
the loving family of God. But we are at war. There is a war going on. A war for the souls of men. And sometimes we forget about what the real, who the real enemy is and what the real battle's all about. There's an unseen realm that's furiously seeking to undermine and make the work of God of no effect. And his objective in the life of a Christian is to make him unfruitful. You can't take him back. He can't snatch you out of the Father's hand. But he can neutralize your witness. And that's what he seeks to do. And that's what he seeks to do through, to the church. And so God help us. We're fighting a battle. And so he saw one with him in his travels as a man who was a good soldier. May we all be good soldiers of Christ. Verse 26 says that he was a lover of people. Skip ahead there because this is who he was as a person. He says, since he was longing for you all and was distressed. You know, he's, that's his home church. That's where he's from. I know these people. They're full of joy. They're serving the Lord. There's great fruit there. But he's probably a little bit homesick. Man, I, I miss, I'm sure he missed his family, his natural family. I'm sure he missed the fellowship that was going on there. He longed for the body of Christ. And he was a selfless soul. He was an example of being other-centered. How do we know that? Well, it says he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also. He was, he was, notice too in verse 26 as well, he was distressed because he heard that you had heard that he was sick. So he's like, they're probably thinking, they're probably wondering if I died. I need to get back there. I need to tell him. He really cares about what they're thinking and what they're feeling. I mean, the day that we stop caring, well, I'm not going to do that because he hurt me. She hurt my feelings. He hurt my feelings. They didn't acknowledge me. I mean, okay. We're in war. You got an owie, let's go to the clinic, we'll get it fixed. <laughs> you know, we can put a bandage on that. We can deal with that. But hey, it's learning how to, like, you know what? My feelings, and this is what happens as you grow in the Lord. Your personal feelings can, can take a back seat. Lord, that hurts. I didn't appreciate that. I know you didn't. Let it go. Okay. And you, you just learn to let it go. And it's like water off a duck's back. Now, but, but if it didn't hurt, you know what that's an indication of? You don't care. You don't, you, your love isn't as deep as it should be if you don't care. And the minute you don't care, you shouldn't be in ministry. Because that's meeting needs. You know, I think about Jesus in this. I... It blows my mind in the garden and they're approaching him. Judas with the whole band of men. And how does Jesus handle that? Blows my mind. Betrayed the son of man with a kiss. <laughs> now, you know what you know? most of us guys would do? I'm going to punch that guy's lights out. I mean, that's what Peter had in mind. 
He, I don't know that he was going after Malchus. I wonder if he was going after Judas. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We'll find out later probably. But I mean, yeah, but that's the love of Christ. That is the epitome. Even at the last moment he's trying to reach Judas. That is still a forgivable sin, friend. You were with me three and a half years, you know. I mean, just powerful. But here we have that selflessness exemplified by Paphroditus. And then lastly, that's who he was as a person, but look what he did. Verse 25 gives us his activities. First, he was a messenger. And obviously, he's the one, that's, if he's carrying this letter, he's a message, he's bringing messages from Paul. But I have, I have a feeling that Epaphroditus had a lot of stories to tell. And a lot of testimonies to give. It's pretty powerful. I mean, could you imagine bearing witness to Paul's ministry and the things that he went through? He actually was involved in the collection of the offering. If you follow that little list of the men from Asia Minor that went you know, to Jerusalem with that abundant gift to, to help out the church that was going through the famine and the downtime, downturn in the economy and all. He was part of that group. And he was a selfless soul as a messenger for the Philippians. And then he was also a minister. He was a servant. He got it. He was following in the footsteps of Christ. Serving Paul. Serving the church there in Philippi. And this, is, this is what I, I look for in people who serve in the ministry. And we need to be praying that God raises up servants. That he brings in the people and he adds to the church. And that within the church, people are disciples and discipled and trained and raised up for service. It takes mature people to train other people. You know, we need leaders in the, the children's church, youth, the young adults. We need elders and deacons. As the church, as we begin to expand this year and grow, that's all that stuff, all those places, all those needs, all those vacancies that are vacant now need to be filled. What did Jesus say? The fields are white for harvest. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he would thrust forth labors into his harvest. These are the kind of people that God's looking for. And he's working for servants. And that's what, how do you want to, how, how do you qualify for ministry? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Now, I know that this is for, for us tonight, but it's also for those who may also hear by way of uh, the podcast. You know, if God's speaking to your heart, get, it, get on board. Go for it. Give up your life. Die to self. And then begin to experience life you've never experienced before shall we pray father thank you for these men thank you for paul and his example to them and who these people were timothy and epaphroditus men that we're going to meet on the other side and you thought enough of them lord and they were examples that you you put them in the scripture here for us to learn from and so we're just we know that this doesn't come natural to us lord fact is a lot of times we just simply resist wanting to serve but God you give us 
a new heart, a new nature. And we're giving you permission to just do that transforming work within us, Lord. Make us the vessels you desire us to be, and we desire to be vessels of honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.